everyone. Welcome to the Bio Breakthroughs Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is the CEO of Adial Pharmaceuticals, Carrie Claiborne. Carrie, how are you today? I'm great, Jared. Thanks uh, so much for having me on your uh, on your podcast today. Look forward to having a discussion. I'm excited. Let's dive right in. Tell the audience about yourself. Sure. So I, as you mentioned, I'm the CEO of Adial. I've been the CEO about a year and a half. I started uh, on the board here. Um, I, my background, I've been in, you know, biofarm, biotech for about 20 years now um, with several companies as a CFO or CEO. Um, I most recently, before I joined ADIs with a company called Indivier, which is probably the leader in the addiction space. Um, after I left Indivier, I um, was pretty much semi-retired, looking really just for interesting opportunities. Um, I got invited to join the board of ADIAL and, and their focus on treating addiction, which is uh, near and dear to my heart based on my prior experience and their focus on alcohol use disorder is what really excited me about it. And you know, after being on the board for about a year plus, um, the management, the board decided they, they wanted to make a change and asked me if I'd be interested in uh, taking over CEO and trying to lead this, you know, this drug and product um, to the market. So we're in clinical development and I'm sure we'll get into more of that, but that's sort of my quick background. What is with this trend that I've been seeing lately, Carrie, of people that are retired or semi-retired coming out of retirement to go lead companies? I've been seeing, I, I know it's nothing, it's not a new thing, but I've talked to so many people lately so th this, this company obviously has to be special to take you away from that semi-retired uh, lifestyle. What, can you, I, I know you can't speak on you know, everyone's motives, but why, why do you think this is happening and, and why did it happen to you? I think part of it is, you know, if, obviously if you're semi-retired, you know, you've, you've been working a while, you got a lot of experience. I've got four years you know, since college. Uh, started at GE, spent lots of years at large companies. And after about halfway through my career, I shifted into life sciences and worked in smaller companies. So you have a lot of experience. You've been there, done that in a lot of respects. Uh, not a lot new. Um, and that's why you typically, you know, see people like myself maybe on boards where you can help, you know, companies that are going through what you've already been through. And, um, you know, you can get a little bored maybe just doing boards. And uh, if it's the right opportunity, you kind of know what you're getting into to a certain, you know, certain respect. Um, and it, you know, can be attractive because you say, well, I, I've kind of been through some of these things. I've learned a lot. I remember going through it. Like if I knew what I knew at the end of this, what I knew at the beginning, it'd be a totally different, you know, you know outcome maybe. So you get the chance to kind of do it again. Um, and I'm sure that's what a lot of other folks in that situation, you know, you see people going back to companies they maybe founded and coming back in or, you know, companies that you know, are in the same industry as their other companies. So it's basically a chance to use that experience and wisdom you've already accomplished over a number of years, you know, and try it again with something that, you know, like you said, for me, it has to be something worthwhile doing, though. I was waiting for you to say what we found is retirement's just not as glamorous as everyone thinks. And, you know, it's, uh, this actually, some of the people I've spoken with said, it's not that you can't, you know, find th fun things to do in retirement, but like you were saying, you've been, you've been building businesses, you've been working all these years. 
how do you go from that to – I feel like what was probably the dangerous part is you were semi-retired, so you weren't fully yet, so right. you were still, you know, a, a foot in both uh, arenas, and you're like, I'm going back. <laughs> yeah, I think you uh, – like you said, it's – I think it's hard for people like me with that background to just totally be retired, not do anything. So I think you're going to be, you know, involved one way or the other. Um, maybe it's some foundation work, you know, which um, – my wife and I started a foundation, so we're doing some work there as well. Um, but again, you know, what, what I love about life sciences is the ability to change and impact people's lives. And when you see, you know, a company like ADAL and their mission um, and the disease state they're going after, alcohol use disorder, you know, there are so many people suffering from that. It's something you can feel good about. Okay, I got off the couch, <laughs> you know. I'm not playing golf, but I'm working on something that's really important. And if we're successful, we can make an impact that's going to last a lot longer the amount of time you're giving up from your semi-retirement. So that's kind of the way I think about it. Let's talk about that a little bit, Kerry. First off, what is alcohol use disorder for anyone that's listening that maybe is unfamiliar with the term? Sure. I mean, in the old days, they called it, you know, alcoholism, right? But it's it's really, you know, it's a chronic disease and it's really characterized by an individual who regularly consumes an amount of alcohol that is harmful, harmful to them physically and also social, you know, socially, economically as well. So it has a, a major detrimental effect on their health and on their life and their life, a lot of times of their family and other people in their circle, as well as their productivity overall. So it's a major you know, public health crisis. Um, in America, it's estimated over 30 million people are suffering from some degree of alcohol use disorder. And not known, you know, a lot, but it's the leading cause of death for people aged 15 to 49. You know, it contributes to over 200 different diseases and problems like things like can many forms of cancer, liver disease, depression, mental health. You know, you all heard about domestic violence that's related to someone drinking too much, not to mention, you know, fatalities and automobile accidents and so forth. So it is a major issue. And what do the current methods of treatment look like for it? And why is there a demand for these alternative treatment options today? Sure. So there hasn't been a new drug approved for alcohol use disorder in over 15 years in the United States. So there aren't a lot of new medical treatments. So you really put the treatments into two categories. There is behavioral therapy and counseling. You know, think, you know, things like alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, where people aren't using any kind of medication, but they're, you know, being coached on how to cope, you know, how to change their lifestyle, how to avoid triggers and things like that. And that works for, you know, a small percentage of people. Um, and typically what happens is, they have to hit rock bottom. That's an actual term they use in AA. AA is they hit rock bottom and then they seek that kind of treatment. The medical treatments that are on the market, again, are nothing short of extreme in a lot of cases. The, you know, all of the treatments available in the U.S. require patients to stop drinking before they can even start those treatments. And then once they start those treatments, some are designed to cause severe negative reactions if they happen to drink any alcohol once they're on that medication. So it's a deterrent. You know, they get violently ill, vomiting, nausea. Sometimes it's so severe they have to be rushed to the hospital. So, of course, you're not going to drink, but then is a patient really going to take that medication? 
know, the, you know, some of the other treatments, you know, are designed to reduce cravings. Um, some are injections, so a painful injection once a month. And what they all have in common, again, is you have to be abstinent before you can start. And that is a, really a major hurdle for patients to get over before they even want to start treatment. So the alternatives are things like what we're developing, ADO4 at, at ADOL, which is non-abstinence-based. So it's designed uh, for patients to not have to stop drinking before they can start treatment. And actually, the goal is to reduce drinking levels down to not harmful levels. So it's really a harm reduction strategy. And we think that will be appealing to people because when you go the abstinent route, it really requires a radical change in your lifestyle. You can't in a lot of cases, be around other people that do want to drink or have a drink. You can't go to social events where alcohol is being served. In a lot of cases, they have to distance themselves from certain family members or friends that may be triggers. Um, so it's a major, major decision. And it works for some people. Uh, and I think the disease is so large that, you know, the more new treatments that can come in the market, the better for everyone. But it doesn't work for a lot of people. Let's. I'm glad you mentioned this. Let's talk a, about some of the uh, the additional advantages that AD04 offers in comparison to the current treatments available. Yeah. So as I mentioned, it, we we believe it's a novel mechanism of action to treat alcohol use disorder. It's a serotonin three blocker, and it's believed that serotonin three impacts the dopamine reward system. So by reducing the amount of dopamine, it will lower the cravings, and the impulsivity to drink. And our drug is a, our drug candidate is a genetically targeted drug. So that's the first step. It, patients were given a genetic test, and our data shown that if they have a certain genotype, certain gene, that our drug is shown to benefit them by impacting their dopamine reward system. Now, we say it doesn't work for everyone based on what we've seen, but for patients that have that particular genotype, it tends to work extremely well in reducing the amount of drinking that they do. And the data shown that it's really those heavy drinking days, the binge drinking type days, where a lot of this damage is caused. What other, I guess, medical conditions does ADIO plan to investigate uh, for the other potential applications of AD04? So we, you know, longer term, you know, we, we believe that the same drug, because it is affecting the dopamine reward system, can impact and maybe be effective in other addiction-related or any kind of illness that's associated with cravings and impulsivity. So if you think about things like obvious opiate use disorder, uh, smoking cessation, obesity, where a lot of, you know, binge eating and, and a lot of just eating behaviors are driven by cravings and, and being impulsive, we believe that you know there's possibility for our drug to be effective in all of those. Uh, that's down the road. Now, right now, our primary focus obviously is on our lead lead indication, which is alcohol use disorder. My my last question for you, Carrie, and thank you for for talking us through uh, a dial and and your your lead candidate. What are some of the upcoming milestones? I know you can't always share everything, but what are some of the upcoming milestones for uh, a dial pharmaceuticals? Well, we're you know, one of the key milestones we're focused on, we're actively seeking a partner in the pharma, biopharma space that can help us 
advance this drug and get it to market as soon as possible. So that's ongoing and hopefully uh, we will have an announcement if we're successful in that area. Aside from that, you know, we're focused on progressing in the U.S. with FDA. So a major milestone will be getting FDA clearance uh, to launch our next uh, phase three studies. You know, there's a lot of work required to get to that point. Um, we believe we'll be having some meetings with FDA next year to discuss that and finalize our plans. And, you know, our plan will be to start enrolling the phase three trials next year. Um, so those are sort of the, some of the key things we're working on right now. My, my last question for you is how, what, what was the biggest, what was the biggest challenge of going from that semi-retired to jumping back into, you know, going, going, going all the time? I know there's a lot of people that are listening to this that are in a similar position that you were in. And if this can be the thing that brings them back to create some great companies, awesome. Would love to hear your advice right. there. Uh, so the biggest change, I think, is less control over where you spend your time. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, this you know, situation, a lot of times when people come back in, um, it can be somewhat of a turnaround situation. So there are a lot of issues to, to deal with, uh, which means, you know, when you're semi-retired, you have, you have more flexibility to do what you want to do when you want to do. Once you jump back in and you're full time, you know where what you're thinking about 24 um, seven. You're solving issues that come up. You're figuring out a game plan, how to move forward. So um, even as CEO, you, people may think, oh, CEO, you have total control. You don't, right? <laughs> you have a lot of you know a lot of stakeholders involved, um, and, and that takes time and, and focus. And you're not going to have the same level of flexibility you had when you were retired or semi-retired. But it can again be extremely rewarding, you know, as you can hopefully claim victory on what you're working on. Well, Carrie, I want to thank you for, for giving us that advice, talking us through A-Dial, and hopefully we can have you come on in the future. You can update us on where the company is at. Really appreciate you joining me on the BioBreakfast podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, and I'd love to get together with you again and update you on our progress. Mm -hmm.